This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. My name is John, and I'd always dreamed of taking my son, Danny, on a hunting trip. It had been years since we'd gone out into the wilderness together, and I was excited to spend some quality time with my son. So when Danny's school schedule cleared up for a week, I knew it was the perfect opportunity. We packed up our gear and set out early in the morning, eager to make the most of our time in the woods. But as soon as we stepped foot into the forest, something felt off. The animals were eerily silent and the forest seemed too still. It was as if we were being watched. Danny didn't seem to notice, but I couldn't shake the feeling that we were being followed. We trudged on, trying to ignore the creepy sense of unease that was growing with each step. As the day went on, our unease only grew. The forest was too quiet and we couldn't help the feeling that we were being followed. We set up camp for the night and started a fire hoping to ward off the chill in the air and the growing sense of fear that was creeping into our minds. As we sat around the campfire, we started to hear the crunching of leaves and twigs breaking all around us. It was as if something was moving through the forest, closing in on us. But just as suddenly as the noise started, they stopped. Danny and I looked at each other, our eyes wide with fear. I grabbed my weapon, ready to defend us, if whatever was out there decided to attack. But after searching the surrounding area, we found nothing. Exhausted and on edge, we retreated to our tent for the night. But as soon as we stepped inside, we found a note and a Polaroid picture of us walking through the woods earlier that day. The note read, I am watching you. Danny and I were now terrified. We knew that we were not alone in the woods, and someone or something was following us. We didn't sleep that night, and we knew that the next day would be even more dangerous than the first. The next morning, we were too scared to talk much during breakfast. We just boiled some water for our instant oatmeal and ate in silence, both of us lost in our own thoughts. Eventually, we decided to call off the hunting trip and head back home. We knew we wouldn't be able to enjoy ourselves with the constant fear of something following us. We quickly packed up our tent and put out the fire, our eyes constantly scanning the surrounding area for any sign of danger. But the forest around us was eerily quiet and we couldn't see anything out of the ordinary. Once everything was packed up, we filled up our water bottles from a nearby stream. As we were doing so, Clouds started to form, and it began to rain. This was strange because John had checked the weather before we left on the trip, and it had said there would be clear skies and sun. We quickly put on our rain jackets and sought shelter under a nearby tree. But the rain didn't appear to be stopping anytime soon. It was coming down harder and harder, turning the trail we had taken before into a muddy mess. We knew we couldn't risk getting injured in the forest with no cell service, so we decided to head to higher ground and wait out the storm. 
The storm continued for the entire day, and we kept hearing the occasional twigs snap throughout the day, but we couldn't tell what or who was making them. By the time the rain stopped, it was completely dark outside. We decided to set up camp again, but this time, the ground was too wet for a fire. We tried our best to enjoy a cold mountain house meal of chicken and rice in silence. As we drifted off to sleep, we started to hear some shuffling outside our tent. I grabbed my weapon in case we needed to defend ourselves. Whatever was outside the tent began whispering things in a language we couldn't understand. This continued for about 10 minutes, but it felt like an eternity. Then suddenly, there was a howl far off in the distance. The thing outside the tent went completely silent, not making a move. After a few howls off in the distance, the thing outside the tent ran off into the forest. We stayed in the tent in complete terror until sunrise, too scared to move. The next morning, I opened the tent in complete shock. Outside the tent was footprints surrounding us. The footprints did not look normal. Whatever made them was definitely barefoot. It looked similar to human tracks, but it only had three toes. We looked around the area and found two more Polaroids nailed to a tree near us. One was of us near the stream, and the other was of us sleeping in our tent. We were shaken to our core and knew we had to get out of this forest as soon as possible. We grabbed our stuff and ran as fast as we could on the muddy trail. The forest around us was still eerily quiet. While we were running, I could hear the whispering from the night before playing over and over in my head. I still could not understand the language or even begin to describe the sounds that I heard. It took us a few hours to get back to my truck. We felt like collapsing once we arrived. To our shock, there were muddy three-toed footprints all over the truck. The driver's side window was broken and inside the seat was a note that read, Don't come back. We threw our stuff into the back and got in. We backed up and sped out of there, tires peeling on the gravel road. When I looked in the rearview mirror, I saw something that will forever haunt me. Two humanoid creatures stood where my truck was parked. Guessing from the trees next to it, they were about eight feet tall, slender, and a grayish-green color. They had dark black circles for eyes that peered into my soul. We made it home after a few hours. The whole trip we drove in silence, not knowing what to make of the whole thing. We haven't told anyone else we know about our terrifying trip. I doubt anyone would even believe us. It's now been a few days, and every time I lay down at night, I still hear the whispering in my mind. I haven't slept much recently, and I don't know what to do. I did find one of the Polaroids in my jacket. The rest must have fallen out when we were running. It's a little water damaged from the rain, but I'll do my best to attach it. One thing is for sure, I will never forget those things staring back at us in the rearview mirror. I have no idea what they were or why they wanted us to leave. I am just glad we got out of there with our lives. I am never going into the woods again. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. During my years as a park ranger, I encountered things that would terrify the most tenacious trekker. However, nothing on God's earth has ever given me as much cause for existential dread as the undertunnels of the Grand Canyon. Those treacherous tunnels were not carved by human hands, and they certainly were not intended for human eyes. I have heard so many tales of uncovered underground passages in the Grand Canyon. It's not a new concept. But there's a difference between a hidden passage and the undertunnels. I probably should have left this place long ago, but I think I'm too afraid. Like Pandora's box, once certain things have been learned, they cannot be unlearned. I feel I have an obligation to stay here until my dying day. Besides, no matter how far I might be able to run, it would never be far enough. There might be undertunnels beneath all places. I don't actually work as a ranger anymore, but I like to say that I still perform a service to the park because I frequent the bars and other hospitality attractions of the area. I keep an eye and an ear on things. I still hear awful tales. That's how I know I'm not alone. I know there are others who have seen what I saw several years ago. Look, I'm not trying to deter you from coming here. I'm simply saying that you shouldn't ever seek the terrors that hide in the hovels of the Grand Canyon. That only applies to those of you who explore the gorge itself. If you simply want to admire the vibrant vistas atop the edges of the canyon, then go for it. Book a tour. It's well worth the experience, but I would strongly advise against exploring what lies in its depths. Most people never stumble upon an entrance to the undertunnels, but why would you take the chance? I hope you will respect my privacy, and that's why I'm going to refer to myself by the nickname that my youngest daughter, Eliza, bestowed upon me, Mr. Danger, the Park Ranger, and he goes on adventures with his sidekick, Miss Sunshine, the Porcupine. Eliza loves her porcupine costume. I have always marveled at my daughter's boundless creativity. My wife, Riley, on the other hand, prefers us to stick to jollier topics. Why do you fill her head with the idea that you once had such a terrifying job? Riley asked. Because life as a financial advisor is so dull in comparison, I replied. Boo, boring, Eliza groaned, making a farting noise. Exactly what I want to say to my boss every day, I said. Before any of you start panicking that I've been traumatizing my ten-year-old daughter with detailed accounts of horrifying things that happened to me, I only tell ghost stories. Never anything real. Stories of trolls in the rocks and alien visitors. Perhaps it helps me deal with my trauma to create fictional horror stories. Can I tell a spooky story next? Eliza asked. I grinned and said, go for it, Miss Sunshine. It's the story of a witch who once... Eliza began. No witches, I firmly stated. And after that conversation earlier this evening... I was forced to relive the most haunting night of my entire life, the night I spent in the belly of the Grand Canyon, tirelessly hunting for two teenagers who had gone missing. 
I hoped and prayed for an easy search and rescue job. I feared I would find two injured hikers in some hard-to-reach crevice. That was my worst-case scenario. I had no concept of the real worst-case scenario. Traversing the rocky terrain of the colossal chasm that spans the Grand Canyon National Park, I found myself looking up at the wondrous walls that rose like earthly skyscrapers above me. At first, I felt soothed and comforted by their presence. However, as the sun began to set and my torch became my new guide, those canyon walls shapeshifted into something far more insidious. They no longer felt like warm blankets, they felt like walls of my coffin. My harrowing thoughts were interrupted by the fluttering wings of a crow that circled above me. I ignored the creature, pressing onwards, but I could feel its black eyes staring onto the crown of my head. It was watching me as I walked. When I was a park ranger, I liked to think of myself as a man who had a strong affinity with all the animals, but that cawing crow evoked a frightful feeling in my heart. Even as a whippersnapper on the job, and one who, at this point in my life, hadn't personally experienced anything terrible, my animal instinct was well honed. Come on, Mr. Danger, I told myself. You're not about to be bested by a crow, are you? What would Miss Sunshine say if she could see you now? I clenched my torch tightly in my right hand and started weaving it around in a manic, frantic motion, attempting to shoo the bird away. At that moment, I was starting to get frightened. I was startled by the sudden sound of footsteps from the darkness ahead of me. With lightning-fast reflexes, I shone the torch of light in the direction of the sound. Somebody emerged from the side of a rock, and their flashlight came into view. Steady, it's me, Jack cried. I thought you might want some help with the search. Any luck? I found something quite promising. Jack, as I've named him for the purpose of this story, was a fellow park ranger. He was a wizened old fellow, and I always viewed him as a second father figure. He was a little old, and his jokes often elicited eye rolls, but I've never been so relieved to see his goofy grin. Hands still trembling, my light erratically danced and darted across the rocks between us. No sign of him. You scared the absolute crap out of me, Jack. I sighed. It's a good thing I wore my brown trousers. Jack laughed and beckoned for me to follow him. So, what's your promising find? I asked. Well, let's just say we should be home and putting our feet up in no time at all. I think I've found the cave system that the two girls must have explored, he explained, leading the way. It's not one that I recognize, truth be told, but I suppose I might be getting forgetful in my old age. Anyway, I'm almost certain they entered it. There was a campfire by the entrance, recently burned out. Must be them. Crap, I groaned. Last thing I wanted to do at 9 o'clock on a Saturday evening is to fish some dumb, unprepared injured people out of a cave. Better than fishing some dumb, unprepared passed away bodies out of the cave, eh? Jack pointed out. Let's hope your version of the events ends up being the true one. I solemnly nodded my head, thinking of the countless lives that had been lost in the canyon. Whenever I had cause to moan or groan, I reminded myself of the people I was trying to protect. It was on nights like those that a ranger had to prove their worth. I prayed that we would find two live hikers. Huh? Jack said. What? I asked. As we rounded a tall stack of rocks, my friend scratched his chin thoughtfully. 
casting his light onto the smoldering pile of sticks. I was looking at the burnt-out campfire, as promised, but there was no sign of the mysterious cave entrance, just a solid canyon wall, as there had always been in that spot. As far as I could recall, I was certain that Jack, who was 30 years my senior, had started to lose his marbles, but none of the park rangers had the heart to tell him to hang up the hat. It was what he loved. The park was the thing that kept him alive. I know you're gonna laugh, Jack sighed. But I'm telling you, there was a cave entrance right in that very spot, kiddo. I mean, I was right about the campfire, wasn't I? I wasn't gonna accuse you of lying, Jack, I replied. It's dark, and neither of us can see anything out here. Even with these flashlights, the human mind is a fickle thing. It loves to play tricks. You should know that. But let's not despair. We must be on the right track. You're right about that. The campfire is a good sign. Yeah, I suppose you're... Oh. Jack stopped, looking to the side of my head. What? I asked. He chuckled. Got a little something on your shoulder, partner. I swiveled my head to the left and screamed. There, staring back at me with hollow eyes, was the black crow that had been stalking me. It was silently perching on my shoulder. I hadn't felt it was there. It hadn't so much as made a sound or moved into my field of vision. It was a gaunt, ghastly statue, posing with such stillness that it might as well have been a taxidermy bird. Jack cackled until he wheezed and sputtered. He continued to be of no use whatsoever, whilst I flailed around in a mad panic striving to release the creature from my shoulder. Eventually, thankfully, it flew away. To my park ranger friend, it was an amusing incident. To me, it was something much worse. I didn't like the eerie situation, the disappearing cave entrance, the eerily serene bird, none of it, not one bit. As I said, I have good instincts, and I don't fear animals, for the record, I never have. I care deeply even for nature's most ominous and overlooked creatures. Crows had never bothered me before that fateful night, but that crow was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I didn't know what was wrong with it, but I knew the mere sight of it filled me with immense horror. It was dangerous, and I'm not talking about fun and mischief that Mr. Danger and Miss Sunshine love. This was real danger. Danger that I had forgotten all about until Eliza reminded me of something that had been hiding in the darkened recesses of my fractured, forlorn mind. Wait, Jack said. It moved. Suddenly, my park ranger friend was sprinting past me, so I turned to see what had stirred him. And then I saw it. On the canyon wall opposite to the one that we had been facing, there was a cave entrance. It was one I was certain I'd never seen in that area before and that made me truly start to question everything. Maybe Jack hadn't lost his marbles. That could only mean something more unsettling was happening. Either we were both incompetent park rangers, or something unnatural happened. Jack, I started. Let's talk about this for a moment. Jack had already reached the mouth of the cave, and he was jubilantly dancing in the entrance. Before I even had the chance to talk about the horrible feeling in the center of my chest, I spotted something that snapped me out of my feverish stupor. Jack, I warned. Wolf! Jack immediately stopped dancing in the entrance and cast his torch light onto a large, gray wolf that was slinking toward him. It did not growl. It did not make a sound, in fact. It simply took long, purposeful strides toward my frozen friend. 
Easy, buddy, Jack calmly said. I don't have any treats for you, and I'm not as tasty as I look, I promise. Now, ordinarily, I'd scare you off with rubber bullets, but I'm a little unprepared this evening, I have to admit. So, I'm warning you not to get too close, otherwise you'll get the back of this torch. Jack, I said, speaking with the same air of calmness. Keep your cool. I've been doing this a lot longer than you, kid. Don't worry about- The wolf moved abnormally quick, pouncing towards Jack, who slammed his torch into the animal's face. The creature, along with Jack's torch, went flying to the ground. It did not whimper or even falter more than a second. It was calm. Too calm. The wolf simply got back to its feet and eyeballed the now torchless Jack. I shone my light onto the cave entrance, illuminating my defenseless friend and the wolf that had started to prowl towards him once more. Jack, just let me... I started. I have to head into the cave, Jack cried. In a flash, my reckless ranger companion had sprinted into the cave. The darkness swallowed him and the wolf that was hot on his tail. I ran after the pair of them, lighting the way with my shaky torch. Entering the passage through the canyon wall, I tried to focus all of my attention on Jack and the wolf, who were already out of sight in the labyrinth of tunnels. But I couldn't help fixating on the particular noises that engulfed me. Rocks were shifting as if the canyon were continuously reshuffling and restructuring itself. Jack! I screeched. I tumbled through a hole and cut my elbow on a rocky slope I slid down to a sprawling, cavernous opening. I stumbled to my feet quickly and picked up my torch, fearing what I might see in the center of the underground space. In the center of the cave, I expected to see the wolf tearing up my friend. What I actually saw was far worse because it couldn't be explained. Jack was there, but he was not facing a wolf. He was facing something indescribably horrible. A gangly creature towered over him, skin decaying and limbs twice as long as those of an ordinary human. It was a monstrously magnified version of a person. No, not a person. A skinwalker, as the Native Americans would no doubt call it. The stuff of legends. A monster that I had only ever seen in frightening fables. Not something real. And yet, my eyes were telling me a different truth. I could see the thing with my own eyes. The thing that goes by so many different names in so many different places. Still, no matter what name it's given, Everybody agrees that it is an unholy thing, an abomination not meant for our world, death incarnate. Jack, I near soundlessly gasped. My friend began to levitate, his ascension orchestrated by the gnarled, brittle fingers of the inhuman thing before it. The witch, a silent and serene puppeteer, continued to raise her hand. Utilizing some unseen evil force, she moved my friend higher and higher into the air, Watching his illuminated form in my torchlight, I could see the creature was as still and unwavering as the crow and wolf, and that was when I pieced the parts of the puzzle together. I remember that feeling of being stalked by the crow, those creepy black eyes. A sudden snapping sound broke me from my disturbing daydream, instead putting me into a much more deeply disturbing state of reality. Jack released a scream that ricocheted off the walls of the enclosed space as his legs bent the wrong way. They broke, one by one. His jaw started to drop, and I realized that he was moments away from losing consciousness. As morbid as it sounds, I prayed that he would faint. I prayed that he would not be conscious during this. 
as the witch began to pop his arms inward and contort him into a box shape. Looking at his compressed form, I realized that he wasn't unconscious. He was gone. At that moment, the rocks on the walls crumbled away, revealing a stack of boxes and, surprisingly, a red wooden door. As the witch opened one of the boxes and began to put my friend into it, I crept around the back of her. She busied herself with the act of packing her latest victim into a wooden, golden-lined treasure box, and she did not seem to notice the torchlight that was moving around her. As I inched closer and closer to the red door on the far wall, stealthily, I made it across the cave and placed my hand on the door handle. The creature screeched. In a blind panic, I swung the door open and closed it behind me. To my utter surprise, I was facing a long, dark tunnel. A tunnel constructed of red bricks on the walls, floor, and ceiling. The real undertunnels. This was more than just a cave system. It was, I realized, the witch's lair. There was no way I could survive by going backwards, so I had to push forwards. Lighting the way with my torch, I ran blindly through the red brick tunnel, not knowing what I might find around every bend. Suddenly, there were multiple forking passageways. I had no idea which way to go. I just knew that I had heard the red door open behind me, and I heard a slow, steady, still serene, padding footsteps of the thing that had taken Jack. Help! The voice cried from the tunnel to my left, so I immediately followed the sound. Cowering in the end of the fork of the tunnel was a girl. She must have been 18 or 19, fully knitted out in hiking gear, and coated head to toe in a crimson liquid. Oh, thank God, she whispered. We have to get out of here. That thing is coming for us. Where's your friend, I asked. The girl's lip trembled. Alicia? She's... she's gone. Alicia, so you're Daniela, right? I asked. She nodded. I'm sorry about your friend, Daniela. I lost someone too, but we're going to make it out of here, I promised. I think we should go back to the red door, Daniela said. We know the way back from here. I shook my head, helping Daniela to her feet, and pointed a finger to my ear, indicating her to listen. I was trying to show the girl that it wasn't safe to go back the way we came, but I could hear the witch's padding footsteps. I suddenly realized that not hearing her was far worse. Where was she? What? Daniela asked. I don't hear her. That doesn't mean she's not there. Come on, I said. I led a begrudging Daniela farther into the depths of the tunnels, shaking as we rounded every corner. Every time I saw the coast was clear, it was both a relief and a fright. Not knowing where she might be hiding was a scare like no other. And then, from the depths of the brick tunnels, we heard a sound. Crying. It's a trick, Daniela protested. Don't go towards it. It sounds like a girl, I said. Maybe Alicia is still alive. I followed the sound of crying, thankful for the fact that the tunnel no longer seemed to be forming off into different directions. I was relatively certain that it was more of an interconnected circuit of tunnels, rather than a maze. All routes would have led to the same place, eventually. A wooden, colorless door, and there was crying on the other side. Daniela sobbed and said, Don't go in there. I ignored her, motivated by a sense of duty and perhaps a smidge of stupidity. I burst through the door and found myself in a cavern much larger than the last one, and thankfully, there was a cave entrance at the far side. I could see the outside world. It was a horribly dark night, 
but it looked like a glowing beacon of hope. Anything was lighter than the hellish undertunnels of the witch. Casting the light around the cave, I eventually found Alicia, pinned down by rocks, tauntingly close to freedom. She was staring blankly ahead and bawling her eyes out. When she saw my flashlight, she screamed. Help! Alicia wailed. I'm trapped. It definitely felt like a trap, but I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I hadn't tried. Moreover, yet again, my instinct was telling me that I was looking at Alicia. It wasn't the witch. I could just feel it in my bones. I darted over to the girl and heaved the rocks off of her arms. There were cuts and bruises along her limbs, so I hoisted Alicia to her feet. She screeched when she saw Daniela. Get her away from me, Alicia cried. Alicia, it's me, Daniela replied. Alicia shook her head and gently nodded at the far wall of the cave. I turned my head to see what the girl had been eyeballing when I first entered the cavernous room. I was horrified to see someone on the ground, lifeless in an unimaginable shape. Not just anyone. Daniela. There were two of them. As I turned my torchlight back to Daniela, who had just followed me from the undertunnels, she nonchalantly threw a smile our way, and yet, as calm as she may have been, it was the most unhinged and malicious smile I had ever seen. Alicia and I slowly backed towards the cave exit, watching as the fake Daniela started to grow in height. Her limbs started to elongate and her hair fell out. Within seconds, I was staring at the horrific creature that had got my friend, Jack. Run, I screamed. As we sprinted for the exit, it began to close. The rock shifted around it, slowly shrinking the spot that was our only path to freedom. Within seconds to spare, Alicia dived through the opening, and I followed. Turning to face the closing spot, I caught one final glimpse of the inhuman creature before it was entombed in the wall of the Grand Canyon. I had never told anyone that tale, and I was a park ranger for many years after that. If anything, understanding that such things existed was my reason for continuing. There are other reasons that I eventually abandoned that line of service, but my duty has never really went away. And when Eliza reminded me of witches, I realized it was finally time to tell my story. You may or may not choose to believe me. None of that matters. But please, I beg you, do not enter the undertunnels of the Grand Canyon.